Right, have a seat. We're going to get started here. I am uh, glad that everyone's excited to see each other, uh, being back from Christmas break here. Uh, I, I enjoyed the holidays. I hope that you guys did too, but uh, I do miss it when a lot of you are away. Um, I, I love being here with you guys, and so it's exciting to see people uh, coming back to campus and uh, coming back into town here. Uh, because this is a, kind of the start of a new year, start of a new semester, uh, we are going to be starting a new sermon series here today. And uh, I'm excited about it because we're going to be talking about something that is extremely pervasive and influential in our lives. Um, it's something that's really, really important, but that we oftentimes don't give a lot of conscious thought to. Right? Almost like the air that we breathe or the ground that we walk on. It's, it's all around us. It's influencing us all the time. It has a big impact on our lives, but because we're just so in it, we don't oftentimes actually stop to think about it and how it's influencing us. And uh, this pervasive and influential force that I'm talking about is culture. Now, uh, one simple definition that I found for culture is just the way of life for an entire society. Um, culture is the way that we do life as a group of people. Um, so since we all live in a particular culture, our own culture's way of thinking, uh, or the, the, this culture affects the way that we think, it affects uh, the way that we act. It might be so natural to us, though, that we don't even think about the way that it's influencing us. And we may never even consider that there's legitimate alternatives to that. Uh, these ways of thinking are passed on from person to person, from generation to generation, and of course it changes some over time, but for the most part, it's something that is, is uh, probably more influential on your life than you may like to think of. So give an example. Uh, most of us, not all of us, but most of us here, uh, grew up in the United States, and uh, we have a certain culture that has affected the way that we think and act. An example of this, uh, most of you probably place a very high value on personal liberty and I will bet that most of you just unquestioningly accept the idea that the best form of government is, democracy, is a, some sort of democratic form of government, right? Like, you, you, you don't even think about it. You just take it as a granted, like, this is God's honest truth. Like, that has to be the best way to do things. This narrative has been taught to you over and over, both directly and indirectly, over the course of your life to the point that most of us just kind of accept it without question. And uh, that was me. I didn't even realize my natural bias towards this until one summer in college, I traveled to a much less democratic country than ours, and uh, I realized that the people there did not value personal liberty and democracy in the same way that I did. Now, that's not to say that they didn't care about those things at all, but they were far more willing to sacrifice those things to some degree if it meant greater strength and prosperity for the country as a whole. And so this was just something that kind of awakened me to the idea that there's a lot of my thinking and acting that had been formed simply by the culture I grew up in, and I didn't even think about it. Now, my point this morning is not to preach on what I think the best form of government is. I'm not trying to advocate, you know, that we shouldn't be a democracy or something like that. But okay, I'm, I'm with most of you guys. I, I prefer democracy. I grew up in America. But uh, my, my point is our culture can affect us in ways that we oftentimes don't even give thought to. And uh, sometimes this culture can uh, influence us in a positive direction and push us somewhere good. Sometimes it might be negative and, and it can push us in a bad direction. And so the series that we're going to be starting today uh, and that we'll be doing throughout the semester is called Kingdom Culture. And with this, we're going to be looking at what the culture of God's kingdom looks like. And we'll be comparing that to the culture that we find ourselves living in today. And we thought this would be valuable 
because it's going to expose and examine the culture of our world that's affecting us in so many ways that we don't often think about, even on a subconscious level. And uh, since, since we live in the midst of it, it's also going to inform us of what God's vision is for the culture that he wants to create. And so this morning, I just want to lay out the biblical foundation for what's going to be happening in this series from week to week. Uh, and uh, we'll be getting into the specific aspects of kind of kingdom culture, examining specific things each different week. Uh, but today is pretty much just an intro. Here, here's the basis for what we're going after. Uh, so let's pray, and then we're going to dive into our main text for today. God, uh, we love you so much, and I just thank you that you're worthy of all of our worship. Um, I love just getting to join here together in the room with people and lift up our voices to you and, and sing of your greatness, God, because you're worthy of that. Um, you are our king. And God, we want to live as, as uh, faithful citizens in, in your kingdom. And so God, we pray that uh, our hearts and our minds would, would be shaped and directed by your word. And God, that we would be more influenced by the culture of your kingdom than we are by the culture of our world. And that honestly, Lord, the culture of our society would change as your, as your kingdom breaks forth and, and starts to change uh, this place. So Holy Spirit, I thank you that you're here. I pray that you would uh, let your, your word cut into our hearts and our minds. And, and God, help us just to be people that are responsive to what you want to do in our lives. Uh, we love you and, and pray this in your son's awesome name. Amen. Okay, so uh, for the first sermon of the series, I'm actually going to start with the first sermon that Jesus preached in the Gospel of Mark. Uh, so if you have a Bible with you, you can open up Mark chapter 1. Uh, this is a very short uh, but powerful sermon. My sermon today is probably going to be shorter than my average one too, but who knows? We'll see what happens. Um, but with that, we're actually going to start in Mark chapter 1, verse 1. And if you don't have a Bible with you, that's fine. It'll be up on the screen as well. So here's what it says. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Make ready the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea was going out to him, and all the people of Jerusalem, and they were being baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. John was clothed in camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist, and his diet was locusts and wild honey. And he was preaching and saying, After me, one is coming who is mightier than I, and I am not fit to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Now let's just stop there for a second. Um, I want you to see that Mark is starting off his gospel uh, with a lot of anticipation, right? He's building anticipation in the reader that you realize something big is coming. First, he quotes the prophet Isaiah. Uh, Isaiah was a prophet that lived about 700 years before the time of Jesus, okay? Now, think about how long ago 700 years is. Uh, 700 years is a long time to be waiting for something. Uh, 700 years ago, like, knights were still riding around in shining armor in Europe. Think about that. Doesn't that just seem like a totally different world? That was going on 700 years ago. 700 years ago, Christopher Columbus had not even sailed the ocean blue. Like, like we're, we're talking a long time before. So, so the prophet Isaiah, long, long ago, was talking about this idea that there's going to be one that's coming and preparing the way for this really special one that is yet to come. And so Mark then goes on to talk about John the Baptist. 
Okay, so Isaiah is speaking, he, and Isaiah spoke plenty about Jesus too, but the one that's quoted here, he said, Isaiah is speaking of this messenger that's going to come preparing the way of the mighty one, and then we see that John the Baptist shows up on, this, on the scene. And what is John the Baptist doing? Well, he's preparing the way of this one that we're going to be uh, introduced to. Now, people were coming out to John, and he was having a big cultural impact. He was doing his job to prepare the way of, of Jesus as he would come and preach to the people. People were coming. They were confessing their sins. They were repenting of sin. They were being baptized. It was all good stuff, that was, cool things that were happening. But even there, there's anticipation, and John himself is saying, hey, guys, there's one that's coming after me that's way greater. I'm baptizing you with water, but he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And I'm not even worthy to untie the thong of his sandal. And so with that kind of anticipation building from Isaiah to John the Baptist, now we're finally going to get introduced to this one that we've been waiting for. Verse 9. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Immediately coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens opening and the spirit like a dove descending upon him. And a voice came out of the heavens, you are my beloved son, and you I am well pleased. Immediately the spirit impelled him to go out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan, and he was with the wild beasts, and the angels were ministering to him. Now after John had been taken into custody, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. All right, so here we are. We've been introduced to this one that we've been waiting on. And what's the sermon that he preaches? Repent and believe in the gospel. We see that Jesus is, is the, the spirit has descended upon him like a dove. He's gone out into the wilderness. Uh, this, this voice from the heaven has is, is, is confirmed that this is his son from heaven. Uh, we, and, and so even there we see this idea, okay, the, the voice from heaven is confirming that this is, that this is God's son. We see the spirit descending upon him like a dove. That's interesting, right? Because John said this one is coming, is going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. All stuff, all, all good things. He goes out, spends some time in the wilderness, and then comes back preaching this message. This is the first message that we have recorded from Jesus, first sermon. And, and that is, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And this message can really be broken down into two simple parts. The first one informs us of a particular reality, and the second one implores us to do something about that reality. All right, so let's look at each of those halves here. The first is that this idea of the time being fulfilled and the kingdom of God being at hand. Remember that Mark has started his gospel with anticipation, right? He went all the way back to Isaiah 700 years before. Hey, this thing is coming. He goes to John the Baptist saying, hey, this thing is coming. Well, what, now Jesus comes and what's he say? The time is fulfilled. The kingdom, the kingdom of God is at hand. Now, uh, what is it that he brought here? What Jesus brought with him was this highly anticipated kingdom of God. It's something that the prophets had spoken about. And uh, this kingdom of God, quite simply, it's, it's, it's a, a new world order, essentially, where God is king and he rules over the earth. In a sense now, it's, it's quite true to say that God is and always has been king, right? Like, he's the creator of everything, he has power over all things. Yes, but most of this world does not live as though God is king. Matter of fact, most of this world lives in rebellion against God, and sin is a consistent way of life. And every time that we're living in sin, this is a consistent uh, rejection of God's rule over us. And with that, our world is broken, it's hurt. All these kind of different painful and terrible broken things that you see about our world are a result of our sin and our rejection of God's rule over it. Now, this world is not as it should be, and we know that. 
But there was a hope that one day God would restore the brokenness of our world and that people would be truly submitted to his rule. And this kingdom of God would be characterized by righteousness, peace, and prosperity. Here's an example from the prophet Isaiah, actually, uh, in Isaiah chapter 11, where he speaks. He's giving us a message, a a picture of what's to come here. I'm going to read Isaiah chapter 11, starting at verse 4. It says, But with righteousness he will judge the poor and decide with fairness for the afflicted of the earth. And he will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. Also righteousness will be the belt around his loins, and faithfulness the belt about his waist. And the wolf will dwell with the lamb, and the leopard will lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the young lion and the fatling together, and a little boy will lead them. Also the cow and the bear will graze, their young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The nursing child will play by the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child will put his hand on the viper's den." They will not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. So you see here, there's this amazing picture of this kingdom that's going to come, that Isaiah is telling us about. And the people that are living in this time of Jesus, they know about this coming kingdom of God, and now Jesus shows up on the scene, and he says, repent, the time's fulfilled, It's, it's here. The kingdom of God is at hand. And as a matter of fact, you can see Jesus announcing this kind of in a different way in the Gospel of Luke. Uh, Here's here's what he did in Luke, uh, chapter 4, verses 16 to 21. It says, And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read. And the book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. And he opened the book and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, he has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And he closed the book, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down, and the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Right? So, so Jesus really isn't being shy about the fact that he has come on the scene to bring something that is absolutely monumental. And the crazy thing is, as he goes around, we're seeing things like this start to happen. We're seeing captives released, like people that are literally in, in bondage to demons. You think about the, the uh, guy in the garrisons who was living amongst the tombs and cutting himself, and he had that legion of demons that were driven out of him. We see uh, you know, people that are being healed. We see blind men getting sight and lame men walking and all these kind of things. You, the, the whole idea of the kingdom of God, and I looked through all these different places that it talks about the kingdom of God in the Gospels, and we get this picture of something that is truly restorative. All of this brokenness that we have in our world that's, that's full of sin and, and sickness and pain and death and demons and all this kind of stuff is being driven out as Jesus brings the light along. And, and so we see he's, he's doing all of this kind of stuff. He's saying, here, the, the time's here. It's fulfilled. I, I've brought the kingdom to you. And so we're sitting here 2,000 years later, and you might be wondering how Jesus could say that the time was here, the kingdom's come, and... If we look at our world today, we can say, okay, well, there are still a lot of, like, people that are oppressed and blind and poor, and there's, there's lots of captives, and lions are still eating cows. <laughs> they're not lying down together. Uh, you know, they're, they're not eating straw. Kids still shouldn't play with snakes. Um, there's a lot of people that don't know the Lord. The, the knowledge of the Lord isn't quite covering the earth quite as much as the water covers the seas. 
And so it's true that, yes, we still have all of these problems, but also look at what did happen when Jesus came. As I was saying, many were healed. Demons were cast out. People were learning to live in peace and holiness. They were coming to know the Lord. Lives were transformed. Sin was paid for at the cross. Death was overcome, and Jesus rose from the dead. The Holy Spirit was sent and now dwells in Jesus' followers. And so what this shows us is that, yes, the kingdom is actually already here. It's just not yet fully here. Okay? And I have an image that kind of illustrates this. Basically, what Jesus at his first coming, what he did is he started to bring in the kingdom. Imagine almost if, it, if there was like a, a very, very, very long train uh, that might start to pass an intersection. Well, is the train there? Yes and no. Like the, the train is, the beginning of the train is there, but the end of the train is still a long, long way down the line. And so we don't know when that, uh, that, that end of the train is, so to speak. We don't know uh, when this age is going to end and when the kingdom is going to come here in its absolute fullness. But we do know that one day the lion is going to lay down with the lamb. Like one day it will be safe for the, the kids to play with snakes and you know, all those kind of beautiful images that we saw in Isaiah. So yes, the kingdom has started to break in here. It's just not yet fully here. And, and we wait for the day when God is going to bring it in in fullness. But as we wait, what we want to do is live as faithful kingdom citizens of his right now. And uh, that's actually the vision that we have here at H2O Church. We, we don't talk that much about like explicit vision and mission statements and that kind of stuff, but we do have a vision uh, for our church. And the vision is that we want to see God's eternal kingdom fully realized. And I have an a image there. I, I don't know if you guys have seen this before, but this is kind of an image that we created to help uh, you understand a little bit of kind of like what are the mission and the values and, and the strategy and, and, and the goals and all these kind of things that our church is trying to accomplish. But that little tree there in the very middle, the green part, uh, that, that's the vision. And it comes from this idea of the tree of life being there in Revelation 22. After final judgment has come and after the he new heavens and new earth, everything is restored and that kingdom of God is actually brought in in fullness. It talks about the tree of life, which we saw way back in Genesis uh, that we weren't allowed to eat from, that now it's there for the healing of the nations. And so even as God's people that live here today, we live with a vision of that for our future, knowing that that is the kingdom that is coming. And while it is here, yes, it's not yet fully here, we want to live in that reality right now. And we do that by being fully devoted followers of Jesus. But there's a reason that this kingdom has not yet come in fullness, and it relates to the second part of Jesus' sermon which was repent and believe in the gospel. I'll go back to Mark 1, 14 and 15 uh, and just read that for you again where he said, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. The reality of God's kingdom is wonderful, but we actually aren't ready for it to come here in its fullness yet. At, at least quite a few people in the world are not. And the reason is because apart from Christ, we are too sinful for that kingdom. We aren't ready to live in a kingdom like that. Matter of fact, what, what would such, such sinful and, and, and broken and rebellious people uh, even be, how would they even be able to operate in a perfect kingdom like that? You see, when that kingdom does come in fullness, there's going to be a final judgment that happens first. And all that is sinful and in rebellion against God must be done away for that kingdom to come in fullness. And that day will come, but God would prefer to wait and to hold its coming so that people would repent and be ready for it. In the same way that Jesus has come and preached, hey, okay, the kingdom's at hand. This is the reality. 
what do I need to do in response? Repent. Repent. Get ready. Because there's a different way of life that is being ushered in here. So with the announcement that the kingdom is near, Jesus called people to the only appropriate action in light of this knowledge, which is to repent. Now, to repent means to turn away from sin. It means to change the direction that you're following from going after your own sinful desires and instead turning towards following God. In essence, repentance is taking the crown off of your own head and putting it at the feet of the Lord. It's a move from living for your own kingdom under your own rule to living in his kingdom under his rule. And the fact that we need to repent or change direction if we want to be faithful citizens in God's kingdom shows that God's ways so often are different from ours. And there's going to be lots of places where the culture of his kingdom clashes with our own culture. It's not going to clash in every way, but there's going to be plenty of tension points where it does. And it's in these places that we must say, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Right? Remember when Jesus even taught us to pray? Jesus' disciples asking, Lord, teach us to pray. Part of what he taught was, was to say that. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How is God's will done in heaven? Perfectly. There's no one that's arguing with him there. There's no one that's rebelling against him. It's carried out. We want that kind of obedience to be seen here on this earth. And so that's a lot of what we're going to be examining through this series are those tension points where we find ourselves uh, living in a culture and oftentimes going along with that culture in a way that's actually in rebellion against the culture of the kingdom of God. You know, uh, Paul understood this and he wrote about this to the Philippian church, imploring them to understand that they were actually citizens of heaven more so than they were citizens of any culture that they were in right there. Look at what he wrote in Philippians chapter 3, uh, verses 17 to 21. Brethren, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. Right? So there's a pattern of them and then here's a different pattern. For many walk, of whom I often told you and now tell you, even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, and whose glory is their shame, who set their minds on earthly things. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly await for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has to subject all things to himself. You see, if you are a Christian, Your citizenship is in heaven. Think about the language that the Bible uses all the time to talk about followers of Jesus. It talks about being reborn, right? He said no one one can enter the kingdom of heaven unless he's born again. Uh, In in 2 Corinthians, which we just preached through last semester, it talks about this idea of being made a new creation. There there is this this total uh, transformation of who you are. You're a new creation. You are a new citizen. Yes, you may be a citizen of the United States or, or some other country or whatever. You, you have multiple different kinds of cultures that affect you that you've grown up with, and, and those don't need to be rejected entirely. But first and foremost, you are a citizen of heaven. And it is important that you live in line with that culture above anything else. And this can be tough. Living in this tension is part of why we eagerly await the second coming of Jesus, right? Which is what Paul says here where he talks about we're citizens of heaven, and what he says, from which we also eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, that Savior has come one time, but we await his second coming when he brings that kingdom in in its fullness. And so we're called to repent, and we're called to believe in the gospel. 
You know, this word gospel here, it simply means good news. And as a matter of fact, some of your translations may have even just translated that way. Good news. Believe in good news. Um, what is this good news that we're called to believe in? Well, there's really th- three parts of it. First is that God's kingdom is here and that it's still coming, right? So there's that reality of, yes, Jesus started to, to break in. He, he, he did die for our sins. He did overcome death. He did raise from the grave. He does actually offer eternal life. So yes, it's there and it's still coming in fullness. Like he's coming again. Part two, not only is God's kingdom here and still coming, but also we're invited into that kingdom. So it's not just good news that the kingdom exists. If we were outsiders for it, that wouldn't actually be that great of news if we had no way into it. But the other reality of this good news is that we've been invited in to come and be a part of it. And number three, that a way has been provided for us to accept that invitation. A way has been provided for us to be people that are actually able to enter into this kingdom. And that comes through Jesus and Jesus alone. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And so when Jesus came to usher in the beginning of the kingdom by bringing restoration and healing everywhere he went, uh, yes, he did that, but the main mission that he was on in his first coming was to actually make entry into this kingdom possible in the first place. And that's exactly what he did. You know, if you look at the life of Jesus, you read the Gospels, he, he talks about this idea of this hour that's coming, right? Uh, that he's, I was sent for, for, for this hour, and this hour that he's talking about is the time, it doesn't, it doesn't have to mean 60 minutes, but he's talking about this time where he was ultimately building up to, which was going to the cross, right? It's the climax of all the Gospels when you read them, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The climax of the story is what? Jesus reaching Jerusalem, being betrayed, and going and hanging on a cross. And you know, if, if you're a Christian, or even if you've seen Christian imagery or whatever, you see little crosses all the time, right? Why is that such a big deal? Well, the, the reason is because I told you, why are we so unfit for the kingdom of God? Well, because just as the, our creation is so broken and, and everything, like we're broken and we're sinful and we're guilty and we've been in rebellion against God. But at the cross, Jesus says, I'll pay for that. You see, when, when he dies, he, he, he dies in our place. And what I mean by this is, is that God was very clear that the penalty for sin is death, right? That's actually what that is. When, when we've rebelled against our king, the penalty for that is death. What Jesus did is he went and said, I'll take that death for you. I'll go to the cross, and instead of you having to die for your sin, I'm going to die in your place. That's literally why God had to take on flesh and walk amongst us. Because in that he was able to be crucified. And so he dies on the cross, he pays the, sel- the penalty of death. But it doesn't just end there, right? Because this is, this is a victory story. And so yes, he dies, but he raises from the dead on the third day. And with that he shows, I've overcome sin, I've overcome death. All of this brokenness, all of this messed up stuff, where like, even the, the best intentioned people, there's so many things we've done to try and fix this world, and, and none of it has ever been able to actually... Uh, fully restore this earth, but Jesus shows that he's overcome sin and death. It's the proof of payment. Yes, I actually can do this. I can actually pay for sin. I can overcome death. And it's, a, it's the first truth. It's the foreshadowing of that kingdom coming in fullness. As he's raised from the dead with this, this new resurrection body, he said, You're, those that follow me, their sin is paid for. They're going to be raised from the dead. They're going to have resurrection bodies, and they're going to live for eternity with the Lord as well. And so at the cross, we see Jesus making a way for entry into this kingdom, and at the resurrection, we see proof that this kingdom truly is coming. 
And so I want to conclude this sermon just by calling you to action simply in the same way that Jesus did. Right? Repent. Repent and believe in the gospel. If you're not a Christian yet, but you'd like to start following Jesus today or you want to talk to somebody more about that, I would love to do that with you. There's going to be people that are around the room here as we start the, the songs in a little bit. Uh, they're going to have a lanyard that has a little green thing on it. It says, how can I pray for you? They would love to talk with you about that. I'd love to pray with you if you want to, to, to just speak to the Lord and ask, hey, I, I, want, I want to be a part of this kingdom. Like, I want to know what it's, what it's like to actually be uh, reborn, to enter into this new place and, and to be with the Lord. Um, you know, I, I also want to remind you that belief in the gospel is not simply intellectual agreement, okay, that, that Jesus lived and died and, and rose again. To truly believe in the gospel means that you believe it actually is good news that God is coming as king, which means that you want to live in line with what he says. If we actually believe the gospel, then that affects the way that we live. It makes us people that know our king is coming, and also live in line with him as king of our lives right now. And so I just want to ask, like, I want you to consider, is there something in your life that is out of line with, with how a citizen of God's kingdom should be living? And if so, praise, that, praise God that he's merciful, right? Like, praise God that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, he's made that way. But what he wants you to do now is repent of that to lay that down, to lay down your own crown, to put it at his feet and to say, I don't want to live for my own kingdom anymore. I want to live for yours. And so, you know, if, if you're realizing, yes, there's, there's something out of line in my life that I need to repent of, I need to change, then I encourage you even to confess that to a friend and have them pray for you and, and help you, hold you accountable. If you don't have anyone in your life like that, like I said, there's people that will be around the room that have the lanyards on. They would love to pray for you about just even hearing what, what you have to confess and then just pray for you, that you to give you strength to walk in this renewed commitment to live as a kingdom citizen, okay? And guys, that's part of why we have each other too. Church is so much more than just come and hear a sermon and sing some songs on a Sunday morning. Like, we're a family that is committed together to living as kingdom citizens. And the cool thing is, is, is of course, there's a ton of blessing that comes in that, right? Like, God's way is totally better than our own way. But when we live as kingdom citizens, what are we doing? We're actually helping this world look a little bit more like the kingdom of God than it did before. Like every time that, that you choose to be generous rather than greedy, like you're making this world look a little bit more like the kingdom of God than it did before. Every time that, that you choose to be humble rather than prideful, you're helping this world look a little bit more like the kingdom of God than it did before. Every time you, you choose to, to uh, walk in purity rather than in sexual immorality, you're choosing to, to help make this world look a little bit more like the kingdom of God than it did before. And isn't that what we want? Like, I don't know about you guys, but my heart is captured by that vision of that, that kingdom of God coming in fullness. And I know that I don't have the power to usher that in by myself. The Lord is going to do that on his time. But what I do have the power to do is to walk in the new life that he's given me and to encourage you to do the same, and to try and help you to do the same. And as we do that, we will be blessed, and those around us will be blessed as well, and God will be given glory. So may we live as people that are kingdom citizens, that live by the culture of his kingdom, rather than whatever culture we may find trying to influence us to go a different way. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for who you are, and uh, 
I just thank you that you are king and that, that your kingdom has a culture and that it is good and it is perfect. And God, I know that we fall so short of that. We're weak in our flesh, uh, but God, you give us strength. And we pray uh, that, that you would help us, Lord, to be people that live in line with your kingdom. God, if there's places in our lives that are just out of line with that, where we, we realize we have not been walking in a way that honors you, We've been letting our thinking or our actions uh, just be influenced more by the culture around us, more by what we see on the internet, more by uh, what people around us are saying than, than what, what you say. Uh, God, I just pray that you'd help us to repent of that. Help us, God, to, to repent, to believe the gospel. Lord, if, if we're struggling with unbelief right now, I, I pray that you would strengthen our faith. And that, that faith would, would give us the power to walk with renewed. You're worthy of all of our praise. You're our king. We love you. And uh, we pray this to your sons. You guys can stand and sing with us. Um, this is not something we're going to start doing every week, but something I want to give you an idea of, just to like, cast a vision for this moving forward. When we pick the songs we're going to do in worship, it's for a reason. Like We don't just say, I, I like singing this one. Go for it. So in light of everything that Grant was talking about, what we're trying to do in response to what you heard is to remind